You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 10 covering the Galileo 7, the Squire of Gothos, and Arena with special guest Gav Brown. All right, as promised, this week we have a guest with us. Uh, yep. Our, our good pal from Ireland, but don't let that scare you away. Also, he's not from Ireland, are you, Gav? Uh, occasionally. <laughs> Only sometimes on the weekends. Only when it's convenient. <laughs> Other times I'm from Sestus Three. <laughs> <laughs> don't step on my jokes, damn it. <laughs> this is why you don't let your co- uh, co-hosts see the script ahead of time. That's true. Uh, because uh, because we do have an extra person, we are going to be reviewing a third episode this week. Um, and Gav specifically requested uh, that that we let him in on the uh, the Trelane episode. So uh... yeah, and then I watched it. <laughs> Big fan of Napoleon enthusiasts. <laughs> Liberace, apparently. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I thought the, I thought there was a, a bit of a resemblance there, and then I was reading. You know, like we always go and read Memory Alpha and Wikipedia and all that. And like, oh. He wanted to play it as Liberace. Very well, then. Wow. Uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. The first one we're doing is uh, is for Matt. It's uh, the Galileo 7. So, All right, the Galileo 7. So, Enterprise is on the way to drop off some vaccine on Marcus 3. The trip is being overseen by Galactic High Commissioner Ferris, who is a giant throbbing cockula in his lovely uniform and fancy collars. The ship comes across a fancy quasar, and Kirk sends out a shuttle to check it out to check out its hooves and teeth. Ferris whines, but the Enterprise has plenty of time, so there's really nothing he can do do but pout and pout and complain, which he does constantly. Anyway, the shuttlecraft Galileo goes off to check it out. Her crew, Mr. Spock, Bones, Scotty, Yeoman Lady, Mr. Boma, our other complainer for the week, and two and two future corpses. It's all fine and dandy until the weather starts getting rough and the shuttle is shipwrecked on some shitty little planet. Spock, take, yeah. Spock takes command and everyone decides to have a big old wine session about his accursed Vulcan logic. Except for Scotty, the only person who knows what he's doing. doesn't help that the that Scotty says he, they need to dump about 500 pounds if they want to take off, and that 500 pounds is going to have to be made up of crew people whose names aren't in the opening credits. Meanwhile, in space, Ferris won't stop demanding Kirk abandon his crew. He is literally counting the minutes until he can legally force Kirk to stop looking for the crew. Back on the planet, one of the corpses is killed by a ridiculous giant spear hurled by a ridiculously giant yeti. Lieutenant Boma is demanding that they hold a funeral for him, apparently not realizing that everybody is kind of busy trying not to be killed by giants. Giants are coming back, and the remainder of the crew wants to kill them so bad. Spock would prefer that they just chase the giants off, and everyone remarks about his how un- inhuman Spock is for not wanting to kill. They manage to scare the giants off eventually, and Spock leaves the other corpse to guard the, the camp in case the giants come back. He is eventually speared to death. Back on the Enterprise, Fair shows up every five minutes to complain. On the planet, Scotty's figured out a way to launch the shuttle by doing something techy with the phasers, which is awesome. Except now they have no weapons to kill the giants w- when they come back, which they do. Scotty manages to scare them off yet again with a second. Uh, uh, Scotty manages to scare them off yet again by electrifying the, sh- the shuttle's hull. At which point, Boma again insists that they have funerals for the dead crewmen because he spent all night writing eulogies while everyone else was working. And damn it, he's going to read them. Back on the Enterprise, Ferris gleefully tells Kirk that it's time that he left his crew to die and orders him to start bringing it back the search parties he sent out. Kirk does this as slowly as possible, but he's eventually forced to bring the Enterprise out of orbit. Back on the planet, Scotty finally gets the ship ready to take off, and Spock allows Boma to have the funerals that he prayed for when the monsters show up yet again and they have to haul ass into the shuttle. They get into orbit only to realize that they don't have enough fuel to actually land the ship. If the Enterprise doesn't see them, they're just going to crash again. Things are starting to look grim, and Spock actually seems to start panicking until he jettisons what's left of the fuel, igniting it, and sending off a flare which the Enterprise sees and rescues them. Back on the bridge, Kirk makes fun of Spock in front of everybody because he can't feel good about himself unless other people feel bad, and Boma is carted off to the U.S. hood to to be made head of Starfleet funerals. (laughs) Very nice. Well, of course, Mr. Spock is becoming more human every day. Oh. <laughs> we joked about that, but it keeps happening. It does. It's one of those things like Meme Me Up Scotty where I don't think they say it literally, but it's still just every week it ends on the bridge with them on, with their <laughs> hands on their hips laughing at Spock's expense. Oh, Spock, you're such a Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> and then the whimsical music. 
Everyone laugh at Spock. Look how different he is. <laughs> that, well, that's Roddenberry's uh, ideal future, right? I mean, uh, we're not... all of Earth gang up to make fun of, of aliens. Yeah, we're not uh, we're not racist to each other anymore. Now there's aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Gav, one thing you pointed I'm... out that that didn't really occur to me when we were watching this, but thinking back, you're absolutely right. Everyone's really out of character in this one. Yeah, Spock. It, well, Spock's even less. You know, you want him to be more human every day, even though even if that means at the start of the episode they regress him, and then he just it turns out the same at the end of the episode. <laughs> and then there's a couple of the Starfleet people who are just just shout, shouting at him throughout the entire episode. <sighs> I think Scotty's probably the only one that's not out of character that's in the Galileo Seven. And that's because he makes spends most of the episode in a hole fixing things. Yes. Yeah, keeping his head down. Fixing yeah, stuff. I, I'm I'm staying out of this. Not my problem. I'm working. Everybody shut up and let me work. <laughs> I, I, it really bugs me. And I know, you know, it's the drama and I know they do this for, for conflict. But you know what? Spock is a commander. He's the first officer. If he gives you an order, you fucking follow the order. You don't, yeah. you don't yell at him and say, I don't wanna. I mean, but we talked a lot of. So, so I'm just thinking about it just now. It's the same as in Next Generation, not that I want to mention it, but, um, there's that episode with, with Data. Oh yeah, that's, that's uh, resurrection one. part two or is it part one? Redemption. Yes. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> you made me so uh, happy yeah. I get to correct someone on Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <laughs> Oshman's sitting there thinking, "Damn." <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right though. But that that was well. I guess it's the same thing because they uh, the the dude had a problem with data because he's an android, and uh, you know what do androids know about humans? I guess, I guess oh, it's yeah. the same thing. But, like, it keeps coming up. We keep getting the guy in the checkup seat who keeps questioning Kirk every week. It's like, I'm sorry, but, you know, you're in Starfleet. You listen to the guy who's ahead of you. Yeah, I mean, we're in a more enlightened future. And, yeah, we're exploring and we're we're doing diplomacy. But it's still the military. And you have a chain of command and you have to listen to the guy above you. That's how it yeah. goes. Like, we're uh, kind of busy. We don't have time for some douchebag in the in the pilot seat going, um, excuse me, I don't think we should do that. Well, and, like, and well, who are you? Well, I just got here. <laughs> and, and Spock, you know, repeatedly has to remind them, look, I don't care if the majority of you want to do this. I'm in command. I mean, he, you know, he says this. Yeah. They just keep thinking, oh, no, well, let's take a vote. No, we're not taking a vote. We want to have a funeral. Oh, God. <laughs> that funeral guy. I just, I don't care. I made mini quiches. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, overall, I, I did enjoy the, the, the conflict and the drama of, you know, cause I think this is the first time we've seen Spock, like, in charge of a mission and having to deal with this. And, you know, in that sense, it wasn't bad at all. Um, mm. the alien threat is a little goofy. <laughs> it looks like three kids on each other's shoulders in a bear suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the giants, I mean, they're supposed to be giants and the spears would have been more effective had they not clearly been made of, <laughs> Paper mache or something. Yeah, they just sort of like they 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 come in like they've been thrown and they sort of uh, drift off to the side like the wind caught them because they're so light. I love when Spock examines it. He's like, hmm, very crude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were thinking that too, Spock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the and the thing about Spock's whole, you know, no, we don't have time for a funeral. No, you know, like we need to get out of here. I usually agree with him when they put Spock in that position where he's the cold, hard, logical one. Like I'm usually on his side. The humans are usually being unreasonable. Yeah. He has kind of a point. Like we're going to die otherwise. And then you can have all the funerals you want in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I don't even know where to begin on that one. (laughs) But I mean, it starts out with, um, with, with them accusing Spock of, uh, having little regard for life because a guy dies and he doesn't care about the funeral. He just wants to, mm. you know, get them out of there. And then later in the episode, they're like, come on, let's go kill these savages. And he's like, no, we should, you know, we should respect these, these primitives and whatever. And so then they get mad at him for not, or for having too much regard for life. Yeah. It's like the guy can't win no matter what he does. It's like the, the people are just going to yell at him. At least help you carry the body back. No, we don't need your help. <laughs> You don't want to put. You don't want to help us bury him. <laughs> uh, What's the point? I should have stayed on that Vulcan ship. Yeah. I um, learned to play baseball. <laughs> I thought you were going to say play bass. <laughs> that would be fine too, actually. 
Uh, the, the one real problem I had with the, uh, I mean, uh, the guy bugging, bugging Kirk was, was okay. That, you know, they, they tried to come up with some drama that kind of paralleled what was going on in the, on the, on the uh, planet. I mm. like that. Uh, the only real problem I had was you get to that last ditch desperation thing that Spock does, which is great. He, it's, it's a very human thing. It's a very, yeah. it's a very Kirk thing. It's a very, I'm going to gamble everything we got on this one million to one shot. I think it would have been better had we not cut back to the Enterprise and realized that they'd seen the flare. Oh yeah, have a hurrah! Oh hey, look, there's the ship. Let's go get them. It would have it would have made for better tension had we not known if it was going to work until the the cavalry suddenly showed up. Yeah, but I mean, apart from that, I you know I thought this was a pretty <laughs> decent episode. Well, we'd better go save them. Oh, thank God, we're being saved. <laughs> Didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> no, and and in particular, I would say the Blu-ray effects on this one were really good too. They had a lot of uh, a lot of cool stuff in that oh, nebula thing the, or whatever it was. Yeah, the nebula, gorgeous. Yeah, you had a chance to see most of this one uh, in the restored version, which was nice. Um, it was wonderful. The the flare looked pretty cool. Yeah, you see the nebula and you think that looks really good, and then it cuts to the inside of the ship, and it's just like <laughs> really. <laughs> You've done that up as well. Well, the, the, you know, it's hard to CG like people. I mean, really, how funny. <laughs> you could try Kirk. Yeah, well, I, I would be fine if they took uh, in the later Chekhov <laughs> episodes, if they just put in that alien guy that was in uh, the animated series in his place. Or they could just put Gorn in for everyone. <laughs> Listen, I would be fine with that. <laughs> Mr. Chekhov, take us out. <laughs> Damn it, you guys are taking all my stuff. That's my episode. <laughs> uh, anything else on this one? or? Uh... Um, oh, I was doing some research on this one, and I found out that, A, uh, Kurt, Shatner really hated doing it because he was barely in it. Yeah, when we were watching this, that was one of the observations you made. It's like, yeah. Shatner's off on his, his own his own scenes, not in the action, no chance for him to rip his shirt. And you're just like, I bet he hated this. And now you've found yeah, was... proof that he did. Yep, there was only like 15 minutes of uh, of Shatner in that episode, and I'm, I bet it drove him up the wall. <laughs> it's kind of why I liked it. Why couldn't I be on the planet? Well, it's about Spock. <laughs> Who? <laughs> oh, and it just seems and like it's... every time uh, there's something important the Enterprise has to do, Starfleet always sends a Commodore along. Yep. It's <laughs> like, really? Oh, we're going to have to send the Enterprise? We, we can't trust Kirk. Send someone along to, to make him do what he's doing. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually... They 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 do away with the the commodores mostly when we get to next gen. They replace them with admirals to be all like, "Well, you better do this, and you have to do it because I'm an admiral and I don't know what it's like out here." <laughs> well, and that's <laughs> that's what that, that was always the weird thing to me with commodore is like I've worked around the navy and I'm actually because of Star Trek I know the the ranks like I knew who to call sir because okay he's Riker so he's below Picard and <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> They don't use Commodore in the modern uh, American Navy, as far as I know. So it, it took me a while to figure out, okay, well, I guess they outrank Kirk, but is that above or below Admiral? And I guess it's one of those, like, uh, old-timey uh, English Navy things. Mm. Well, I mean, at that point, they still didn't technically know who they were working for. So, I mean, I, we can sort of give them a couple, a little bit of leeway there. This is true, and they, they haven't... Uh, do we know, do, Have we used Starfleet yet and, like, Federation? Like, gradually, they're introducing the, the sort of canonical... Things that we know, but yeah, don't they work for like space? What's well, core it, it, or something? It's uh, USPA, the United Earth Space. Oh, yeah, right. Something, something. I think they had used Starfleet a couple of times. Have they? By now? One of no. yeah, one of these episodes, I heard it say someone was space fleet. <laughs> well, I, I think. In other uh, words, I don't think they know from episode to episode what they're calling each other. Kirk of Star Command. That's that's the thing that we've pointed out too. Is we like to pretend, okay, you know, they had the 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 head for uh, for continuity and keeping everything straight and and all that back then, but they didn't. We, you know, yeah. this is a relatively recent invention that we're trying to. We can't always hold them to that standard, but they just should, making shit up. They they should at least uh, be consistent from episode to episode. I don't think that's too much to ask. All right. Any, anything else on this one? Or are you guys ready to move on? Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Uh, yep. Next one would be uh, Gav by request, the Squire of Gothos. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. The Enterprise is moving through what is described as a space desert, so the crew are naturally having a coffee break while insulting Mr. Spock. All of a sudden, they discover a barren planet, and Kirk and Sulu disappear. Shortly after, they start receiving Christmas cards via the ship's computer. <laughs> Spock uh, decides to send an away team to the planet to locate them, and everyone starts arguing with, oh wait, that was the last episode. 
On the planet, they find an Earth-like atmosphere and an 18th century castle. In the castle, a foppish man awaits them by the name of Q. I mean Melvar. I'm trilling. He knows much about the Earth from hundreds of years before for some reason and basically wants the crew to stay and play with him because he's a child, you see. Spock beams them all aboard and Trillane has a tantrum and takes them all back to the castle to flirt with a woman, Nubians and all, until Kirk gets annoyed with him for not getting any attention. A duel erupts in which Kirk shoots the mirror, which turns out to be the computer controlling Trillane's power, and with one bound, everyone is free. Well, until Trillane comes back, but this time his parents get him. No, really. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is, uh, as you point out, the I think the first proper appearance of, uh, you know, the, the powerful being that ends up being a child. I, I'm mm. pretty sure they use this many times again. But uh, A lot of godlike you, children should... run around the, inter- the, end, uh, the universe. They should use it more. I think well, Star Trek 2, they should have Khan's parents come around at the end and tell them off. <laughs> Oh, great. Mr. and Mrs. Noonien sing. <laughs> yes. Great. Now, would they be Margaret Indian? And Harold, <laughs> Margaret and Harold Noonien sing. <laughs> I, um, th- this was one where the, the, the concept was great. The, the character was, was pretty great. Um, uh, what's his name? William Campbell played him pretty well. But it was just uh, a lot didn't happen. Like, there was a lot of going here, then going back here, then going. Like, it just it felt a bit padded. I forgot I think how it was many like times they went back to the Enterprise. I think it was about 15 minutes too long. Yeah. But, I mean, it was a, it was a good idea. And, like I said, you can't really call it out for being a cliche since it was the first time. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a, an original story at the time. And, you know, seeing a guy chew up the scenery, like, at the same level as Shatner is always fun. <laughs> and they uh, they did a mandatory scene where it's just the two of them facing off because, you know. You, you, Shatner's other, still mad about last episode. <laughs> well, and all the other actors are just going to get in the way. I mean, you know. They're they're doing a bad act off. You don't need uh, you don't need more people in there. I but he didn't rip his shirt in that episode either. That's that's true. That is yeah. that is a good point. Maybe uh, no. I was about to say maybe maybe that that trend is ending here, but no, it's it's not. I maybe with the budget they couldn't Trillane. afford to. <laughs> Plus, we got was Trelane taking his jacket off. Yeah, <laughs> it's hot in here. <laughs> I, I was. Oh, uh, it's frightfully hot in here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was I was amazed, and uh, Gav pointed this out in his summary that uh, the the level of shall we say cultural insensitivity. <laughs> he uh, he refers to Sulu as most honorable guest a couple of times, and they, I love that. They, oh, really, yeah, they give Takay this great little aside to I don't remember who he's standing next to. It might have been Kirk. It's just like, is he kidding? <laughs> oh, bye. Like they didn't they didn't you know point a huge neon sign at it, but it's clear. Like oh Jesus, are you really? <laughs> that was nice, and then yeah, like uh, like you said, Gav, <laughs> he refers to her as a Nubian, Ugh. which you know hey, could have been worse, I suppose. Uh, that's uh, true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> now, overall, I, I enjoyed it. it. Was it was a lot of fun? Like I say, a little little padded, but um, fun watching him chew up the scenery. I uh, I oh god. When when I was a kid, I watched this episode a couple of times, and I found the lines. Are you ch- are you challenging me to a duel? Yes, if you have the courage. To me, one of the funniest fucking lines. Really? Oh God, yeah. I thought that was hysterical. Why? I don't know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Very well. Um, I thought Trillane came off a bit uh, femi, let's say. Um, Camp. Yeah, I, I and I. I, I, my reaction at the time was okay. He's playing it a bit like Liberace. Yeah, you know, it might be just the jacket and the fact that he's sitting at the the harpsichord. But uh, <laughs> no, then I, then we went like I said, we we do a little research, looked it up, and uh, now he wanted to play it Liberace. So very well. And it said Liberace in the back of his jacket. <laughs> well, there was that the rhinestones, but you know, <laughs> I think they uh, I think they erased those in the in the uh, in the Blu-ray version. So. <laughs> I think the best thing about the entire episode was the coffee at the beginning. <laughs> it was just yeah, like, just, what's going on here? Just standing <laughs> around. <laughs> just standing around drinking coffee. <laughs> well, you get- and, and McCoy's up there as if, does he never have like people in sickbay? <laughs> just like, so what's going on up here? Oh, you're drinking coffee. Well, let's talk about Let's talk about space desert. <laughs> Don't you have work to do? <laughs> Look, we've all been in the workplace where like, there's there's an underling who's best friends with the boss, and so they never have to do anything. 
<laughs> that's that's exactly the setup on the Enterprise. McCoy never goes to sickbay unless Kirk or Spock is sick. <laughs> Otherwise, it's uh, I don't care about you. I'm what he has Nurse Chapel for? Yeah, exactly. I'm just gonna hang out with Jim. That's why I'm here. <laughs> hey, we're, Jim. We're BFFs. You, uh, you see the office last night? <laughs> <laughs> no, the space office. Come on. The space. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ! Yeah. Um. So, Gav, I, I got to ask, why specifically this episode? Like, we we went to a few people we know that are that are decent guests from our other show, and people who who know their Star Trek. And I said, okay, what which episode would you like to come on for? And you specifically chose this one. Why? Why this one? I just wanted a really funny one, and it was just the first one that that I saw when I was looking through the season one list. Oh, well, that's fair. You, 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 I like that you still stuck Matt with shore leave. That's that was a good call. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind a short leave either, but yeah, no, I yeah, this one. Fair enough. I like I say, I really like uh, I really like William Campbell. I like I like the way he played it. There's a bit at the end where, uh, like you say, his parents show up and and uh, lecture him, and he manages to play it sort of the same. Like he plays it menacingly, like he has been. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a little little over the top, but still kind of a threat. But as a small child, at the same time, like he didn't suddenly switch character. It was. I really like the way he played it. Somehow he was the same guy, only you saw a new aspect of him. And it was, it was a nice little, like, I'm not going to say it was, you know, like Emmy worthy or anything, but it was <laughs> a nice bit of acting, I thought. Shannon's got an Emmy, so you never know. Yeah. <laughs> I, You know, I found out, and, and this really isn't maybe the best thing for, for our show here, but uh, I found out recently that his um, Bleep My Dad Says show is getting higher ratings than uh, 30 Rock, which is oh. a bit disturbing. Is that, is, that a, is that a surprise? It is, actually. No, but it's... Uh. I mean, as oh, Star- Two and a Half Men is supposed to be one of the biggest shows, isn't it? Oh, God, that does so well. I, I just, as Star Trek yeah. fans, you know, I mean, okay, Shatner, fine, but come on, man, <laughs> really? Only if they have Leonard Nimoy in it, I'll watch it. <laughs> I'm watching this show, it's got the word shit in it. Yeah, but <laughs> sort of. Nimoy would not be caught dead, you know, doing a show called Bleep My Dad Says. Then again, Nimoy would be caught dead singing a song about Bilbo Baggins, so uh, not a whole <laughs> lot of ground to stand on there. <laughs> this is this is a good point. Uh, and, high- what's that? That is highly illogical. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spock, you're becoming more human every day. Damn it, stop saying that. Just wait till you die. I'm going to say it over your corpse and you won't be able to talk back. Oh, Mr. Yeah, Spock, you became so the most funerals. human. <laughs> I, I, just... I did like at the start, sorry, that uh, Spock was to- was talking about in the space desert and he was he was saying he doesn't know why people are so uh, so talk, talk about it like it's so emotional and all that kind of thing. But his entire planet is a bloody desert. At <laughs> <laughs> this point, he's just like you. Listen, you guys don't know from deserts. Yeah, look, <laughs> you think you think deserts are exciting, do you? Maybe you should uh, go hang out with me and my pet Salot for a while. Trust me, it's uh, it's no bed of roses. Oh yes, the Sahara, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> desert, whatever, man. <laughs> I'll be downstairs being more Vulcan every day <laughs> in the bowling alley. You guys are assholes. <laughs> That's why Bones is always up on the bridge. <laughs> he heard they were having a coffee party. Yeah. And you can't the wait bridge. till they break and throw the coffee over each other. <laughs> the bridge needs cup holders so badly. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, seat and seat belts. But they've covered that <laughs> joke. But like... They have the they have the coffee cups set down on the on the panels, right? And they're almost at a right angle. Yeah, and then the camera shakes and nothing spills. It's like it's just well, a splash. <laughs> no, but that's, ah! what that's what I'm saying. The effect that they use that the ship is shaking. You know, mm. nothing's actually shaking. So that uh, <laughs> kind of gives a continuity problem there, where the camera's shaking and none of the none of the cups are tipping over. That's why McCoy was up there in case the coffee spills. <laughs> that <hot laughs> coffee can kill. I have to be here at every coffee party the Enterprise has, just in case. You think it'd be easier to get cup holders, but no. I I could imagine them saying that on a reality show, just talking to the camera. I have to be here at every coffee party. (laughs) There was a a bit where they beamed down to Trillane's planet the the first time, and... um, was it? Oh, no, no, it was when they were coming looking for for Kirk and Sulu. And um, the the landing party have uh, breathing masks on. It was a nice little touch. I wish they'd do that more, like... Instead of just assuming, oh, let's go down and breathe in that Earth-like oxygen. <sighs> like, just, I don't know. If you can't afford spacesuits, those those little breathing masks were a nice little touch. I just like, I like reminders that 
oh yeah, this is science fiction. These are planets. This is space. Yeah. It's it's hostile. Well, technically, they should be beaming down in those spacesuits, but uh, yeah, but know, I understand they can't af- they can't afford a bunch of, like those every week, and you can't see well, they- actors in them, and you know that's fine. But- see Kirk float by in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I must be in this scene. <laughs> But yeah, the um, your biggest shirt. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the last act there, where um, where uh, it's just Kirk and Trelane in the uh, courtroom, that wasn't bad. I I felt like like there was this nice little silhouette of a noose that they used yeah. to really good effect, and then they used it ten more times, and each time you saw it, it was like a little less cool. But the first perhaps, time was very cool. Perhaps, my dear Captain Kirk, you've forgotten. The shadow of the noose. No, I knew it was. No, it's still back there. Yes, but what about this noose? Uh, it's the same noose. So it is. Well played, Captain Kirk. Is there a? Is there an extended universe it's novel? The shadow called... of the moose. <laughs> See now with the with the menacing antlers. Now there, there you go. I just assume that there's an extended universe uh, novel called The Shadow of the Noose, or possibly The Shadow of the Moose. I, I just want to think of Shadow of the Space Moose. <laughs> uh, so anything else on this one, or is that... Uh... Um, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. All right, on to Arena. So uh, the Enterprise arrives at Cestus 3, which is the only planet name I can ever remember from any Star Trek episode ever, so expect me to say it a lot. The colony on Cestus 3 has been wiped out by an unseen alien assailant. Uh, who then proceeds to bomb the hell out of Kirk and his landing party. We get a really cool battlefield scene with exploding mines and stuff, then the crew return to the Enterprise to do what they do best in Season 1. Really intense chase scenes through space as we all wonder what's going on. But not in a confused, poorly written way. In an intense, well-written way. Uh, the episode cruises along being awesome until about the halfway point, when Kirk is abruptly beamed onto the planet's surface, or, uh, to the surface of some asteroid with the captain of the alien ship. The aliens are revealed to be the motherfucking Gorn, who are your standard snarling lizard men. I maintain that the Gorn are an alien race with the most squandered potential in all of Starfleet. I mean, can you imagine a race of angry lizard guys with today's modern non-rubber suit technology? So anyway, Kirk and the Gorn captain are ordered by some all-powerful disembodied voice to fight to the death using whatever materials they can find on the planet. Then a Roadrunner cartoon ensues as (laughs) Kirk and the Gorn try to outwit each other for, I don't know, seven hours, eight, something like that. Eventually, Kirk gets the jump on the green dude, but refuses to kill him. The alien interloper, known as the Metron, reveals himself to be even more effeminate than Trelane, if that's even possible, and is impressed that Kirk showed compassion. Why, in a thousand years, he said, maybe we'll be not primitive enough to talk to these jerks again. I think I speak for all of humanity when I say that the thousand years cannot come fast enough. I can't wait to join the condescending race of busybody ladyboys. Also, Cestus three. <laughs> I really hope that in that thousand years they develop pants technology. Bridges pants technology. Jeff Bridges is pants technology. I feel like uh, those pants really tied the room together. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like they must have blown their entire budget on all the um, all the uh, pyrotechnics, the, the exploding, mm. and the um, filming on location. Because when they got to the reveal of the Metron, yeah, he's like wearing a, a dress. And mm-hmm. a horrible wig, like a 60s uh, mod girl's wig. <laughs> oh, it's, Captain it's Lucille's Ball's, It's Lucille Ball's dress and wig. <laughs> well, you know, being uh, being produced by Desilu, they had access to all of uh, Lucy's, <laughs> Lucy's stuff, which is convenient. She, she was a big yeah. Trek fan. <laughs> season four. It, it was going to come back in season four. It's just going to be a sitcom. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking in season four, Kirk and Spock are working at the chocolate factory and uh, <laughs> cramming them all in their mouths. <laughs> but captain, I want to be in your in your in your uh, evening show. I told you no, Spock. Wow. Why was Spock? As he's shoving chocolate, now you're becoming more human every day. <laughs> there, there's a bit in this episode. I really enjoyed, like I said, the first half of this. There's there's some really good time. It's that same Cold War vibe. That same we're facing off against the deadly enemy. We don't know what they're going to do next, kind of thing, which I always like. Um, there's a bit where they're on the planet during the bombardment, and Sulu, for whatever reason, is in charge on the bridge, which is mm. cool. I like seeing Sulu doing important stuff, but um, he's a good character, and he deserves some dignity. Um, but for some reason, like, while he's running things up there, Kirk tells him what to do from the planet the whole time. <laughs> 
It's like, no, do it like this. Okay, avo- avoid this guy, then do that. Like, shut up. If you leave him in charge, let him be in charge. God damn it. <laughs> that was what it was like behind the scenes of Star Trek 2. <laughs> Quite probably. Decay, do it this way. God damn it. Don't tell me how to do it. It sickens me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, touche. <laughs> no, Today I've learned respect for you, my friend. <laughs> decay. Um, I, I did like the actual, like I said, the actual battlefield. Like, we're actually on a you know, a, a desolate place that's being bombed and avoiding explosions and stuff. Even like in Deep Space Nine, where we did the uh, the big war stuff, you never got a lot of literal, like, actual battlefield action. Mm. It was nice. It, it made it feel more like a, you know, like an old war movie, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, and, and the re- the yeah, the relentlessness of the bombardment was really cool too. Like they they just kept coming. Yep. Like there's a real sense of suspense from that. I, I really, like I say, I wish the Gorn had been in more stuff. I understand, okay, rubber suit doesn't look that great, but... Uh, I I disagree. I think it looks really good for uh, for a ridiculous rubber suit. Well, I mean, <laughs> Gav, you're a big uh, Doctor Who fan. How, how would you say the Gorn stack up against, uh, <laughs> against comparable aliens in Doctor Who from this period, from the late 60s? Uh, let me see. Well, they're in color for a start. <laughs> Well, so yeah. one for the Gorn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I really can't think of any other sort of iconic sci-fi thing to compare it to. Like, okay, well, are they yeah. doing the best they can? Well, they're doing better than Doctor yeah. Who, right? <laughs> yeah, you look, they look fine. You know, you, you, weren't, you weren't watching it thinking, God, that looks awful. And you weren't watching it thinking, what is that? It's very mm-hmm. clear. It's a lizard man. Mm-hmm. No. What is that? Oh, that's Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> I, did he lose his shirt in this one? I can't remember. I, I don't think he did. Wow, and this would have been a prime opportunity because, you know, the last half of it is... <laughs> so, that's, so that's a hat trick of him not losing his shirt? Yeah. yeah he must have been furious. I'm, <laughs> well, but he did get 20 minutes of outsmarting a lizard, so... That's true. <laughs> there is that. I want to do another episode where I run around chasing a guy like in shore leave. That was the best episode we did, I think. <laughs> Look, have you ever seen the Roadrunner exactly like that? I mean, the, the, <laughs> the desert setting really didn't help. I mean, we're, you know, climbing up on large rocks, Throw, pushing rocks down on guys. I mean, it was so clearly just that. And I couldn't stop thinking of Bill and Ted's bogus journey where they used that scene <laughs> and then they came back to that location. And uh, it was very hard for me not to include that in my summary <laughs> and not to make my quote of the episode, you know, catch you later, Bill and Ted. <laughs> Captain, how was your time fighting the Gorn? Most triumphant. <laughs> Most non non heinous. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed um, in in the first part where they're chasing the Gorn ship. I don't think we ever even see the Gorn ship. No, we, ne- we never see the Gorn no. ship. Which I understand from a you know budgetary standpoint. Okay, we can't afford to make a new ship, but they made it. They they made it feed into the tension. Like they're so far ahead of them or something like that. We don't get a good look at them. Um, but I, there's some really nice character stuff where Kirk is all about vengeance. He's all about let's blow them up. Fuck those guys. They can't, mm-hmm. you know, they can't do this to us. And Spock is, you know, once again the voice of reason. He's like, Captain, look, we can't, uh, you know, back off. It was like a good cop bad cop thing, but it was it was done really well, I thought. Since they never show it, I like to believe that the Gorn ship is a giant Gorn head <laughs> with a rocket on the back. <laughs> nice. No, I think they're just uh, flying around holding each other's hands like in Superman <laughs> 2. Can you read my mind? <laughs> God. I love the Gorn working on his little trap for Kirk, and he's just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and the thing is, the Metron says, okay, I've given you these devices so that you can communicate with each other, and they just ignore that for the first ten minutes, and... They're just trying to kill each other. You know, you could talk it out from from minute one. Yep. You've been given translators. You've been given the, the tools to speak to each other and not immediately go for killing. No, going, we're going with killing. No, that's the best part. They get these translators and Kirk just assumes that it's recorders because someone cares about what he's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. As I battle against the Gorn, I can only think to myself, if only there were a way to defeat him. <laughs> you, you know you can, uh, you know, I can hear you, right? As I, <laughs> as I prepare the giant safe to drop on his head, <laughs> I can only hope that he'll, that he'll take the bait of this Acme Gorn Chow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, and the, uh, the Metrons, uh, I guess, uh, provide them with the tools to create weapons on this planet. And, uh, and of course, because there's only one kind of setup like that in all of science fiction, that means making gunpowder out of the five, you know, uh, ingredients we know go into gunpowder. Mm. 
But I just, I like the idea of these uh, 1967 nerds watching and seeing, wait a minute, there's sulfur, there's, uh, what is it, ammonium nitrate. Why, why can't he make, a, come on, there's gunpowder. There's obviously gunpowder. <laughs> it's like, what do I do now? There's sulfur. It smells bad. I don't, what do, what do I do? I, I, I don't know. Do you know what do I, I should do? Looks at the camera. <laughs> do I rip my shirt? <laughs> is this helping? Rip. <laughs> and then, uh, as always, the Metron, you know, Surprised that humans are capable of compassion and, uh, you know, judging us once again. How come the Vulcans never get judged like this? How come it's only us? Everyone likes them. <laughs> but surely. Well, until Enterprise. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> Everyone hates them, apparently. Well, mm-hmm. I hate Enterprise, so it all works out. Yeah. yeah. It's a circle. <laughs> I, I like to believe that there's a version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but instead of mostly harmless for Earth, it says dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what well, mostly say. dicks. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I mean, come on. If Kirk is is the head of the flagship, if he's out there on the frontier, and that's the first face you see, <laughs> you know, that's about right. <laughs> Humans, huh? Well, you you represent the human. Jesus Christ! <laughs> he slept he with ripped all off our women. Sh- <laughs> ripped off his shirt, blew us up, and ran away. <laughs> and then he left someone behind. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ensign it's... Kenny. I guess I live here now. <laughs> I do like uh, I do like that we've created this imaginary running gag that the USS Hood is where all the I think we mentioned that on the show last week where where Kirk sends all the misfits. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything else about this one, guys? Or uh... mm. I think yes. that's, uh... Oh yeah. When he says earlier on, when there's a battlefield, whenever he's talking to Sulu and he says, fire all banks, mm-hmm. you know, the torpedoes, and then two torpedoes are fired. <laughs> I'm just thinking, can you just say fire both banks? <laughs> all? What do you say? All? For? There's not as if there's any more than that. <laughs> Surely the Enterprise has more than two torpedoes. You would have thought so. <laughs> Apparently not. And I did have a thought during this that this is the, the original series as Darmok is to the next generation. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, where they're put on a planet and they're they're meant to work out their differences. <clears throat> only only Kirk immediately goes to fighting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that really that's a good illustration of the, the incredible difference between Kirk and Picard. <laughs> Picard tried to talk it out, and Kirk uh, tried to blow the guy up while talking to himself. Yes. <laughs> Look, when when Kirk is not on the screen, all the other characters must be asking, "Where's Kirk?" Uh, These would be worth a fabulous fortune. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy, the Commodore with the burns on his face, are we sure that's from the fighting or not just from coffee? <laughs> <laughs> the coffee is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, where was your ship's doctor? <laughs> it got was, to him first. He was hanging out with the captain, damn it. <laughs> Abandon his post. <laughs> uh, anything else on this one? All right, Matt, quote of the episode for uh, the Galileo 7. Okay, I just wanted a good example of Ferris bitching, so here you go. I'm sure the authorities will be pleased by your diligence, Captain. I'm not so sure they'll appreciate the way you address a high commissioner. I'm in command here, Mr. Ferris. You are, Captain. For another two hours and 42 minutes. Ferris being a douche nozzle. That's, uh... (laughs) That's pretty much the entire episode. Just repeat yeah. that seven or eight times, and I want a funeral. I want a funeral, and you got the Galileo seven. Yeah, uh, Gav, what do you got for uh, Squire of Gothos? Well, I couldn't really think of anything, and then towards the end, this came up, and I just thought, how long will it be before actual humans are saying this to their children? <laughs> Stop that nonsense at once, or you'll not be permitted to make any more planets. I I love the voice of his father. I love that he's got that very, you know, I wanted to hear him say, right now. Just, uh, <laughs> you, can, you, you can tell he's really disappointed in his son dressing his Liberace. <laughs> I expected so much more from my energy beam son. <laughs> beam? Beam. Very well. He's uh, an energy BMW. My, uh, my quote for Arena, uh, well, there wasn't a lot of quotable in this. Basically, you got the Gorn with his little, uh, what do we decide to call it? Gorn Grumble? Yes, it's corn grumble. <laughs> and his little muttly laugh. So uh, <laughs> here's that. All right. And uh, as always, uh, Matt, uh, Galileo 7 in the future. 
In the future, future. there will always be time for a funeral. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Gav for uh, Squire of Gothos. In the future, future. they'll have beacons to contact ships in outer space, but still they won't be able to get past tree cover. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Uh, And for me, for Arena, uh, in the future, Uh, future. there's no money in our socialist utopia, but apparently diamonds are still quite valuable. (laughs) (laughs) We we, we got some mail. I hate hate to... rush us along like this, but we, we actually have a, a fair amount of mail to answer for a change. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Our first letter comes from Brian Lynch, uh, regular contributor to our, our other show. Uh, uh, yes. he's, he's got a few questions here. Uh, Dear the post-atomic horror, I was surprised to hear you refer to Chief O'Brien as an apology for all the Irish stereotypes of TOS, seeing as his job was basically to shovel coal into the furnace down the Enterprise boiler room. <laughs> It's about the most stereotypical thing they could have him do apart from building a railroad or chasing some Ferengi around while blowing a whistle waving a billy club in the air. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay, well, he, he's not a great apology. The, the, well, the, the most guy, stereotypical thing you could have him do is to run run quarks. <laughs> That's a good point. I, but he was likable was kind of what I was saying. He's, I mean, yeah. who doesn't love O'Brien? I mean, he's, 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 that's, that's why they love torturing him on Deep Space Nine, because you loved him, and, and it really made an impact when they tortured him, because it's like, oh, yeah. he's such a nice guy. And at least Everyone loves him, even his horrible jig. wife. <laughs> What's that, Matt? At least they never had him do a jig. The last <laughs> Irishman to appear on Star Trek got to actually do a jig. Yeah. Something, something about those Irishmen on uh, on the original series. I just, uh, I don't even know. <laughs> really rubbed Roddenberry the wrong way, I guess. <laughs> uh, so he goes on. Question: Why does every Star Trek series have to have somebody who's obsessed with late twentieth century Earth? Sometimes it's subtle, like Cisco's baseball or Sulu's military stuff. But more often, you get Riker or Paris or that jackass from Enterprise who have no particular focus and just like anything the audience can relate to. Why is this time period such a common reference point? I know this sounds odd coming from a guy who works at a Renfest, uh, Renfair, <laughs> sorry, uh, but few, very few people there have stuff that happened 400 years ago as their primary interest. Let's just say that those that do are unlikely to rise to a position of prominence on a major starship. <laughs> well, it's just, to, it's just because they're writing it in the 20th century. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not not any other particular reason. And let, let, I would like. To- I would like to see the occasional person who has something from, you know, after the 20th century, but before Star Trek. See, then you have to come up with all those details, though. Yeah, I would be fine yeah. with that, though. Yeah, it's an ancient Earthian bolt yeah. thrower. See, you can't. You're trying to think of it. And you can't. So, uh... Talasian. That's the three. It's like when they're thinking of uh, aliens or animals from an alien planet, they always call them cestus wombats or things like that. There's yeah. never an, an actual name for, for an animal. Tiberian bats. Tiberian bats, space <laughs> monkeys, things like that. Uh, well, now, space monkeys, those are the monkeys that we sent up in the early space probes that came back super intelligent. <laughs> I don't think we'll be telling them that. <laughs> Why do you keep sending monkeys in space? We wanted to see what <laughs> monkeys would be like in space. <laughs> we thought it'd be funny. Okay. Monkeys in space. <laughs> And then they came back and subjected us, and it turned into Planet of the Apes instead. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> you bastards! <laughs> <laughs> you monsters, that's it, sorry. Uh, question two, which Trek dude would you go gay for? Probably O'Brien, go. actually. Go gay? Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of anyone. Really? Out of Riker, all of I, think he'd, I think he'd be down for it. Well, he, he did have that thing well, with the androgynous first. Red alert. <laughs> Red alert. <laughs> no, Put I, his leg up next to me. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna stick with O'Brien, although uh, there are guys who probably, you know, would be less uh, high maintenance, but, you know. <laughs> you, go down to the, you go down and help him shovel coal. <laughs> <laughs> I could be his horrible gay husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you? Come on! I can't be the only one doing this. You guys have to answer this. I did. Can uh, oh oh I knew. Uh, what about Kirk from the fake Star Trek? Oh, um, does, does he count? Chris Pine? Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Young yeah. Kirk. Sure. <laughs> sure. Right. Inverted commas. Go gay for him. <laughs> uh, question three: If members of the original crew were sandwiches, what kind would they be? Uh, Kirk would be a club sandwich. <laughs> if I could only find a good club. <laughs> um, 
That Hawk was... would be vegetarian from Subway. Yeah. Um, Sulu would not necessarily be anything Asian because, you know, let's not be racists here. <laughs> Why would I be a sushi dinner? <laughs> <laughs> he specifically asked for sandwiches. <laughs> the... I could be a delicious Italian club <laughs> sandwich. No, he'd be the Monte Cristo because of the whole fencing thing. <laughs> um, Delicious Monte Cristo. <laughs> and, um, Monte Crisco? <laughs> and, uh, and Scotty would be a booze sandwich. <laughs> a green booze sandwich. <laughs> it is green. <laughs> um, question four. If Khan shows up in fake Star Trek 2, should the actor be Indian, as the character is, or Hispanic to preserve the Montalbanian nature? He should be Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> Welshie! <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm sure we're all on record as saying we'd rather see someone other. Well, actually, Gav, I don't know your your thoughts on this. I assume it's the same. You, you'd rather see someone not Khan in the second movie. Yeah. Okay. I, I'd rather see them because yeah, it would just be too cliched. You yeah. just do something different. Get someone from the original series and make them a better villain in the, in the second movie. I think. Yeah, that to me that's that's the whole idea of of uh wiping the Cause, slate. Yeah, because otherwise it's just being lazy. Yeah, exactly. We we already have a good movie with Khan. What you want to do is take the the ideas that had potential that didn't get a good chance and turn those into good things rather than retreading something that's already good. Yeah, bring back the Gorn. Yeah, exactly. Or uh Yes. Or, you know, even Trelane, if you could make him slightly less goofy, that would... And have John Delancey play him. <laughs> Do the Gorn and have them not with ships. Oh, yeah, just uh, flying and around just like in Superman. Flying around, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ripping off patches of, uh, of astronauts. Um, Holding hands with a goddess. <laughs> oh, God, that would be so brilliant. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Khan was supposed to be Indian. Um, but uh, Montalban played him sort of generically brown guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, 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 I didn't take him as specifically Hispanic. But uh, I don't know. I just cast whoever. Like if if they were to recast him, just yeah, go with who makes a good villain. I, don't, I really don't yeah. care about the, the ethnicity. Make him a you know, except Welsh. Fuck the Welsh. But other than <laughs> um, any any and other... damn it, he better not be from Wyoming. Oh, <laughs> that's some, that's some crossover action there. Uh, <laughs> And question five. Are there any Indians on Star Trek? The only one I can think of is Brian George, who played Bashir's dad. And by context, I assume the character was meant to be Middle Eastern. So what the hell? Um, there is, I know, I think an engineer in the original series. Um, I think it's, he's Singh, actually. Uh, who's, who's Indian. Um, he'll be in a later episode. Wasn't there an Indian on The Next Generation? It was an episode later on where, uh, he committed suicide and Betazoid woman. God, I've forgotten her name now. Troy? Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> I've had several beers. <laughs> she uh, was investigating his death. Wasn't he Indian? I I don't remember that one, was it? Oh, maybe. It's it's quite possible. Um, there were... Is that about her name? <laughs> That's okay. I didn't remember the episode, so... Um, there's There's... In in the first season of Next Gen, there is a series of rotating chief engineers because they haven't figured out that, you know, you got a great character like Jordy and you got an open spot like chief engineer. Why don't you put them together? They, it took them a year to work that out. But uh, No, he's got to fly the ship. Yeah, apparently. He's new Sulu. <laughs> Nulu. Um, <laughs> Eye of the Beholder. No, I don't remember that one. <laughs> no. Wasn't not that I looked it up or anything. No, of course not. Uh, <laughs> let's say yes. Well, very well. It was called it was called Quan, right. which doesn't sound Indian at all. <laughs> Moving on, I, I, you know, I, he was an alien. I actually don't know. I, um, oh, very well then. <laughs> I mean, over the last fifty-five minutes, <laughs> I, I assume, um, yeah, a lot of the guys in the background and stuff. I mean, they did a good job of of uh, of PCing up like the background guys, but uh, the main characters, yeah, they went to the same. They went to the same kind of groups over and over again. It would yeah. Be nice to see an Indian guy, but I, I don't know. What was Bashir supposed to be specifically? Like, I thought he was supposed. 
Was he? Yeah, I thought that, but he plays Middle Eastern people now, doesn't he? So he probably probably was Middle Eastern. Yeah, but the actual character, like they played up his Englishness, actually, because he and he and mm. Orion uh, uh, bonded over a lot of that Battle of Britain and stuff like that. Yeah, because you can see English and Irish people bonding a lot. <laughs> his parents were Indian, weren't they? I see. I'm not sure. Like, like I'm sure they were. His, like Brian is saying here, um, the the actor who played his dad was, but. Uh, was didn't his mom wear like what is it called a sari? You know, I don't know. I have to check that. But um, no, and I'm just going to show my horrible white guy ignorance here. The further I de- dig deep into this, so we might as well just uh, let this one. Go. <laughs> uh, we do have other letters here. Uh, this one comes from Brandon Nelson, and he writes, uh, "Algar and Matt, it's, I've been a longtime Star Trek fan, and this is something that's always kind of bothered me. I know the actual reason is being budget restraints, but is Star Trek canon ever explain why the Klingons look so dramatically different?" from the original series to the movies and next gen and beyond. Uh, and the answer is we do not discuss it with outsiders. Yeah. Enterprise had a reason, but it's enterprise. So nobody cares. Yeah. Now that's, that's one of those things where DS nine had a nice little jokey answer and that would have mm-hmm. been enough. And then enterprise said, Oh no, no, no. We got to explain this. <laughs> Cause we don't have anything else interesting to do. <laughs> apparently. Fuck so much of you. Um, what's that Romulan war? Shut up. No one cares. <laughs> We're going to explain why the, why the Klingons heads are flat. <laughs> The uh, the last question we have is from our friend from Australia, Dan, and he writes, Hi, Al, Matt, and special guest from the Delta Quadrant. Gav, are you from the Gel- Delta Quadrant? The Delta Quadrant? Yes. I'm, yeah. Delta. I am yes. from both from the Delta and Delta Quadrant. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. Considering Quadrant is four, it's impressive that you're from two of them. <laughs> you're yeah. stacked on and top one of them of doesn't even exist. <laughs> uh, continuing from the race talk, my question to you is, what race do you think makes for the best antagonist? Uh, I think last week he asked us what our favorite uh, Star Trek alien race was. Uh, I have a funny feeling changelings might come up, so maybe you could break this down from each series. Uh, Turns out it's man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know that I could top that answer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's uh, that's about all the time we have this week. Uh, Gav, I appreciate you you joining us. Uh, we'll definitely bring you back again. Um, any Any thoughts, if we bring you back for season two, any specific episodes you had in mind maybe for that? No, not off the top of my head, but I'm sure I'll think of something. I've got thoughts for season three, obviously, but... Oh, yeah, well... <laughs> we got people lining up to do Spock's brain. <laughs> oh, no, that's not mine. <laughs> no, Gav said, uh, before we even announced this, he's like, uh, I want to do Turnabout Intruder. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, you'll know. And then in a week, I, hey, we're doing a new podcast. Yep, I know. I told you which one I want to do. Well, <laughs> very well, then. All right, well, like I say, Gav, I appreciate you uh, you joining us, and uh, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Yeah. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed. 